This morning, if I were to ask you the question, what matters most to you? What, what is one thing that if you lost it, you'd be devastated? might be a family heirloom that's been passed down from a great-great-great-grandparent uh, to yourself. Maybe you have a brand new car. Maybe for you it's the first brand new car that you've ever owned or it's a a special collector's car and it means so much to you and you park that baby at the back of the parking lot diagonal across two parking spots. You don't want anything to happen to it. Maybe you have a home that you've worked hard on and you love that home so much and and you want to protect that investment. At my age, I'm starting to be more and more aware of my retirement funds and wanting to make sure that those are secure. And and we hear a lot about identity theft. And every so often when I go to check out something on on the the website for my my, uh, Roth IRA or 401k, whatever, those sort of things, I go and and I just kind of a sigh of relief when when you hit the return button and your information's still there. That it doesn't say, all of it was, was withdrawn last week. <laughs> we hope you're enjoying your retirement. Ah, I would just be devastated. But every time, it's almost like I'm surprised it's, it's still, still there. Several years ago, we had ADT come out to our house to give us a quote on uh, an alarm system for our home. And I was telling them in our growth group about this this morning that uh, I was just bent on having a sensor. I pictured this sensor sending out rays all across the living room, you know, and, and that it, if those little invisible bars were broken, it was going to call the, the uh, United States uh, military to descend on our home. <laughs> Air troopers dropping down from helicopters under our roof. But the guy came and he took one look at our dog, uh, who is smaller than a Clydesdale, and, and said, you're not going to be able to have a motion detector in this house with that animal. And so I was like, oh, really? And he said, well, let me ask you something. He says, what, what is it that you're really wanting to protect the most? And as he looked around at our, our modest uh, treasures around the house, like our 32-inch television in the living room, I... He was kind of like, you know, my guess is that what you're really wanting to protect the most is your wife and your, your kids. And he's like, I, I'd stay away from the, the motion detector. You're only going to use that when you're not home. And, and it would just be for the purpose of protecting, you know, your small television there in the living room. He said, I'd recommend that you go with the window vibration detectors. Put one on every window in the house. And he says, that way there's no way to enter this house without shattering a window or opening a door and setting off that alarm, and it would be set when you're home, when that which you want to protect the most is, is here. And I'll throw in a fire alarm system for you. <laughs> and with that, he sold me, and we went with, with that system. Because he asked the right question, what is it that you value the most that you're wanting to protect the most? And I was sold. Well, here's the cool thing this morning. Of all the things that we could mention, cars, homes, retirement funds, jewelry, family heirlooms, the thing that ought to matter the most to every single one of us is our eternal security, our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the great news is you're in the driver's seat on that because no one can take that away from you against your will. 
You cannot lose it to death. You cannot have it stolen. You can't have, have it lost or misplaced as long as you desire to hang on to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Nothing, no one can take that away from you. And to these scattered Christians, these first century Christians who had been sent out and were in hiding and were not able to gather for public worship together, that was good news for them to hear that their faith would grow stronger and grow, grow deeper by having the right answers to the right questions. What do you fear the most was the, the, the first question. What, what, do you, what do you fear because if what you fear is your, your salvation, good news, just because you are being persecuted, you're not going to lose that. The things that's going to matter the most to you a hundred years from now is the one thing that you can count on for sure. It can not be stolen. What do you value the most? The first question, I only have two of them in our passage today from 1 Peter chapter 3, is what are you really afraid of? Uh, what are you really, really afraid of? First Peter 3, verses 13 through 17 says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil." The fear of the Lord conquers all other fears. It trumps all other fears. If your number one fear is, I fear the Lord, then you don't have to fear anything else because God's going to win in the end. And if you're on His side, if you're on His team, then you have victory uh, promised to you. The assurance of that final and most important victory. The fear of the Lord is a good kind of fear that's actually empowering when we fear the Lord, and fear can mean respect, and most people would interpret it as respect, but I want to tell you that I think today we need a little bit of, of fear of the kind of respect for the Lord that has some kind of concern that we not uh, offend Him. The fear of the Lord conquers all other fears that can be so crippling. If you fear the Lord, you don't fear death. If you fear the Lord, you don't fear losing your freedom. If you fear the Lord, you, you don't fear, what if I don't get the most out of this temporary life here on earth? Because you know the best is yet to come. And as Matt said earlier, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to His purposes. And if you are for the Lord, even the things that others might mean for evil or for bad in your life, that turns out to be for the good for you. It's kind of like a controlled burn. <laughs> it almost seems oxymoronic to think that, a fire, that firefighters would use as, as uh, an effort for fighting a forest fire, maybe out west, uh, a controlled burn. 
But the concept there, the idea is you, you have a, a fire that you can control and that you burn only a certain amount of, of area between the raging out of control forest fire and the forest behind you that you're trying to protect. And when the fire that's out of control reaches the area that's already been charred and already burned down to the earth, that it can't go any farther and it stops there. Whatever fears that you have out there, when your fear is in the Lord, then those other fears can't cross that path, that controlled fear, that controlled burn. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. What are you afraid of? Paul asked the question in Romans 8, 34 through 35. He says, who then is the one who condemns? The answer, no one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or sword? (laughs) No. None of those can separate you from the love of Christ. Now here are some things that we are told to do if we're really afraid of the right thing, if our fear is of the Lord and not of circumstances all around us, first of all, be passionate for goodness' sake. (laughs) If you are zealous for what is good, this passage says, zealous. Well, that's a word we don't use very often today, but Christians need to become more zealous. We need to become more passionate. We need to become more excited and determined about our faith. It needs to be first and foremost, not compartmentalized to just Sunday morning only or a prayer before bed or a prayer before we leave the house every day, but it needs to permeate every aspect of our, of our lives, and we need to be passionate for goodness' sake. There was a reverse kind of judgment going on for these first century Christians. As they were living among extreme paganism, people were noticing, you're not worshiping the false gods. You're not doing unspeakable things to try to honor these statues. What gives? What's up? Oh my, you're not one of those, are you? Are you a follower of the one they call the Christ? Yes, I am. So you So you think I'm a bad person then, huh? (laughs) That's the reverse judgment part. Someone notices your faith and notices that you don't participate in the things that the world has deemed okay, that the Word of God says isn't okay, and then they want to judge you for judging them. They'll say, oh, so you don't do such and such. So I guess you think I'm a sinner then. (laughs) I can't speak for you, but as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Be passionate For goodness' sake, strive for the good. And my brothers and sisters, I tell you today that we have got to really work at that. Because social media and the news and everything that's screaming at us and the peer pressure that is is on an adult level even uh, is wanting to force us into their culture and their way of doing things to align with the worldly ways We need to be passionate for goodness' sake. Be patient during seasons of suffering. And Peter talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. You'll be blessed. So what? (laughs) If you lose all your earthly friends because you're not willing to be zealous for the bad, because you're zealous for the good, and they want to write you off, and they want to exclude you, let them. Because you're blessed because you're 
that, if that means that you're following the Lord. Be patient during seasons of suffering. Verse 15 of our text says, But in your hearts, honor Christ, as, Christ the Lord as holy. Some of your translations may say, Sanctify Christ the Lord. He alone is to rule your heart and to be the only object of your fear, of your respect. If you were to picture a throne in your heart, who's on that throne? Is it a worldly leader, a celebrity, famous athlete, popular opinion? Is it you yourself on the throne of your heart? Or is it Jesus the Christ? But sanctify Christ the Lord as holy. Holy means separate, alone. There's no other name like His name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, Acts 4.12 tells us. If there's any part of that throne in your heart that's occupied by anything or anyone other than Christ, Christ ain't there. Because you can't be 99% saved, 99% follower of Christ. It's 100% or it's nothing. Matthew 10.28 says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew 5.10 puts it in a much more positive way. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that word blessed is synonymous with the word happy. <laughs> I heard someone be critical one time of Phil Robertson for his happy, happy, happy. Remember that? You know, happy, happy, happy. And the Bible talks about being happy. Now, happiness is an emotion that comes and goes, and happiness is fickle. Happiness is based on, on whether or not things are going your way or not going your way. Joy is consistent. You can be joy in the midst of, of sadness because joy is more concrete. But even happiness is a good thing. God wants us to, to, to be blessed. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can you be happy? in the midst of persecution? I think you can. If, if you know that, that if the persecution is legitimately because of your alignment with Jesus and His Word, then, yeah, I think you are happy in the midst of that. Next, be prepared to stand by your Savior. Peter quotes Isaiah verses 8, uh, verses, I'm sorry, Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 through 14. Ahaz was the king of Judah. The Assyrian army was about to invade Judah. The kings of Israel and Syria wanted Ahaz, King Ahaz, to join uh, them in an alliance against Assyria. But Ahaz refused to align with them. They threatened to invade Judah themselves. And so Ahaz was considering a secret alliance behind the scenes with the Assyrians. But Isaiah the prophet courageously warned Ahaz against an ungodly alliance out of fear. Ahaz is going to align with the ungodly people because of their earthly strength. They were the bigger guy, and I want to be with them. I want to be on their team. And he was going to turn his back on God and God's people. But Isaiah says, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear. And let him be your dread. 
And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The Lord of hosts means the Lord of armies. That word host, you say host, I picture the person at the desk that takes your name, how many people in your party, you know. Somebody that's a host to a group of folks. But this is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. Do the right thing and be on God's side, no matter how lonely or afraid you might feel. God in one man or woman is a majority. Victory is always with God, not earthly powers that happen to be going against God. 1 Peter 1.8, back when we started this series, kind of introduced uh, the book with saying, uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8 says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In verse 16 of our text, says that your conscience will silence those who revile you for, the, for you good, your good Christian behavior. The word for revile is the word eparezo, which means slander. Good people are often slandered for their goodness because people who do evil, people who are going against God, feel threatened by other people's goodness, and so they revile them by, as a way to try to lift themselves up. You ever had anyone pick on you for doing good and not doing bad? It happens when you're young with peer pressure, but it continues into adult life as well. Uh, makes, makes people feel uncomfortable. The second big question that we have, and this is the one that people will ask you, so why are you a Christian? So what are you afraid of is the first one in our text. So why are you a Christian? First Peter 3 verses 18 through 22 says, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. He is right there beside the Father in complete control. Why are you a Christian? One is ought to be the payment. Jesus has paid it all. One time for all time. Romans 6 verses 10 through 11 says, for the death that Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. You, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful thing about the sacrifice of Jesus being nailed to the cross is you only had to do it one time. One time for all time. What took place 2,000 years ago at Calvary's cross covers your sins today in 2020. 
You don't have to continue to to have a sacrificial lamb that you offer up as a sin offering to God every time that you sin to have your sins forgiven. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God, and He's already been to the cross, and He's already defeated the grave, and He's already come back to life. And because of that, today, we have blessed assurance in Him because of, of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because of what He did on Calvary's cross, we can unite with Him. And just as the ark, it says, brought Noah and his family of eight safely through the flood and spared their lives, today we have this beautiful image of of baptism to represent the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Buried with him and raised to walk in new life. Not enough water in the world to wash away sins. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. But he's given us such a beautiful way to unite with him in the price that he paid on our behalves. The payment one time for all. The propitiation, the righteous for the unrighteous. <laughs> Jesus is the, the last person that deserved to go to the cross because he was sinless. He was perfect. He knew no sin. He was tempted in every way, just as you and I are, yet without sin. But because we were all spiritually bankrupt, none of us could die for anyone else of us. You couldn't go and find someone who is more spiritual than you, less sinful than you, and saying, hey, I have blown it big time. Would you mind to go to the cross for my sins? Because you'd be talking to an imperfect person. It took someone not from around here. Jesus, the Son of God, to leave the perfection of heaven and come to the earth, live among us for 33 years like he did, and be willing to go in our place on the cross. No one else could do that. I could have died for your sins, and that would have been a nice gesture on my part, but you'd have still been lost because I'm a sinner myself. I'm bankrupt. And you couldn't have died for mine. Only Jesus could do that. No wonder Christmas is such a big deal every year. (laughs) The celebration of God's Son come to the earth. The purpose. I'm a Christian today because of the purpose for Jesus coming and dying and rising again was to bring us closer to God. Um, That is such a a, a beautiful thing in this passage, is that it talks about Him being put to death to bring us to God. God loves us. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. And one of the beautiful things that Jesus did was He bridged the gap between us and our perfect God. God does not just look the other way on our sins. That would be the mercy. You know, God doesn't say, oh, I know you've blown it big time, but you know what? I can't imagine spending eternity without you. I tell you what, just nobody's looking. Come on in. <laughs> because of his just and holiness, he can't just overlook sin. And true to his word, there is a penalty for our sin that separates us from him. So what does he do? He shows us grace. He says, I'm going to find you guilty but I'm going to pay the penalty for you with the blood of my own son. I love the the bridge analogy. If you've ever had that presented to you or you've shown someone else where you write the name God on one side of the piece of paper and you write the other person's name on the other side and then you write sin down at the bottom of the paper in between and you draw a huge chasm because our sin separated us from God. The wages of sin is death. Separation from God for eternity. And then you draw the cross over that chasm. 
And that cross represents a bridge in which we can go over to the other side and be with God, justified just as if we had never sinned. Though our sins be as scarlet, they are washed white as snow, and it's a beautiful thing. But just because there's a cross there doesn't mean you're saved unless you're willing to cross over to the other side. And that's the truth of the gospel. It is good news, but it's only good news to him or her who who goes across and is brought closer to God. 2 Corinthians 5, beginning with verse 17, says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors, Paul says to the Corinthians. We are ambassadors for Christ God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word sin, hamartia, in the original language is an archery term that means to miss the bullseye, to miss the mark. And we've all missed the mark. Our sins have missed the mark but we have become the righteousness of God through Jesus. The plan is mentioned there, and I jumped ahead a little bit. The plan, uh, baptism is that beautiful picture, but if you read the first four verses of Romans, you you see where baptism is uh, like an Easter drama, uh, showing the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Listen for that in these verses. What shall we say then, Paul asks? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? (laughs) By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. I love to see pictures of people being baptized. I just love it. my own baptism meant so much to me. I see our brother Joseph up here. Not to, he's got a, he's wearing his made new shirt on this morning, and that just makes me so happy to see him him wearing uh, wearing that shirt uh, from last week's baptism. But when when you come up out of that water, it is just so beautiful. Somebody sent me a picture one time of me baptizing a young man here at Dover, and the water is the I don't know what speed the film was or whatever, but the water is just a sheet of water coming off of that the back of him, and it just is such a beautiful thing of thinking of Jesus coming out of that grave, thinking of that, the old person buried and that new person rising up. God, leave it to God to find a dramatic external way for us to express the the, the faith and the joy that's going on inside as as we accept the price that Jesus paid for us that we could not pay. Baptism is oftentimes said the least work of all the things that we're asked to do as we unwrap the gift of salvation. It's the only thing you can't do yourself. (laughs) I can't believe for you. I can't repent for you. I can't confess your faith for you. I could lead you in your own confession, but you've got to be the one that says it. But I can baptize you. And unless you're a really talented person, physically speaking, you can't baptize yourself. (laughs) Kind of hard. It's very humbling. It's very humbling to, to put all of your faith and all of your trust in Jesus and to know that his blood 
is all sufficient to wash away all of your sins. Pray with me. Father God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his love and for the salvation that we have through him. And God, uh, as we think about those most important questions, I pray, God, that we would be prepared with answers. If somebody asks us what we're uh, afraid of, we could say, I fear the Lord and nothing else. And Father, I pray that if somebody asks us why we are a follower of Christ, that God will have the answer for that and that we won't be cowardly or shy or mean-spirited either, but in a gentle and respectful way, we can, we can tell our testimony to others about the hope that we have and that it is not in ourselves or a church or any worldly leader or church leader. It's in, in you. Thank you, God, for your love and for demonstrating that by sending Jesus to the earth. God, we pray all this in his name. Amen.